I kind of joke, this is just not a fun time to be a leader. Uh, it, it's been a, a struggle. So um, I want to give you an update and, uh, on a couple things, and, um, and then we'll dive into Exodus chapter 20. The title of the message this morning is 10 Words of Life. So we'll be in the Ten Commandments this morning, um, which hopefully will be an encouragement to you and we'll learn from the Lord. But I just want to share a couple things. One is uh, an update on Wayne. Um, so those of you who don't know, uh, Wayne actually has tested positive for COVID-19. He uh, was the lead pastor before me. He's still on staff here. And um, he's in the hospital in the ICU. He's fighting the fight. He's on oxygen. He's not on a ventilator. A couple of people have asked me about that. Uh, and then um, uh, he, they're trying to get him a, a special um, uh, steroid. Not that he would build muscles, but it would give him a better chance to fight uh, the virus. And uh, it's interesting that other hospitals actually won't, aren't letting this particular steroid go. They would rather have the patient transferred to the hospital uh, and make of this as you will because the hospital actually gets paid $100,000 per COVID-19 patient. Uh, and so uh, I think he's not quite bad enough that they're willing to transfer him yet. Uh, in part, a lot of people love him uh, and care for him there at Tall Forest Hospital. So he's in, he's in good hands and uh, he's loved uh, there and everyone knows him and, and all of that. And I just want to share kind of, I want to try to be as transparent with you as possible, like first of all, like like you know, ever since March, we've as as elders and leaders have been trying to figure out what's the best way to navigate all of this, and trying to do it in a way that is healthy for you, because we know that you as Christians, it's fundamental for your spiritual health and growth to hear the preaching of God's word and to be around God's people, and we believe that God has commanded us as a church to gather as saints to be in the room together. Uh, and so initially, we were willing to, to, to say, hey, the church, we recognize the church is not a building, but it's people. And so you're, you're the church. It's not about the building. And so we were willing for a season to say, you know what, we're not going to meet in the building as a church. We're going to meet online as a church uh, just for the safety of our people. Then uh, Newsom and the government gave us some stuff to say, hey, this is what's going to look like if you reopen. We've tried to adhere to that with uh, a, no more than 100 people in this room or next door, uh, was still offering online for those who need it. Uh, and then, obviously, Newsom made a, a, a mandate that the churches wouldn't sing, that you can't sing in church, uh, and that masks would be uh, required. So none of these things have we taken lightly. We've taken all of them seriously. Wrestling through Romans 13, Brad, by the way, not Romans 14. Uh, I've been quoting Romans 14 for the last few months. He finally told me I've been getting it wrong, so... Um, so if you're looking at the mandate to, to obey our government, uh, that's in Romans 13. So what does that look like for the betterment of society? And then when do we not adhere to the government because of <clears throat> uh, the law of God, what God has given us, which is fitting because we're talking about the law of God this morning. And so none of it we've taken lightly and we've tried to do the best we can with social distancing, uh, and, and all of that. And, um, you know, as hard as it's been, Jeff Gilpin, who was here, he, he gave me a good line. Jeff Gilpin, if you don't know him, he's our Awana missionary. So he actually goes around uh, Nevada and, and Utah and some northern parts of California, I think now in another state. And anyways, he helps plant Awana programs, which is kids' programs uh, for kids to grow in Bible knowledge and Bible memorization and the gospel. It's awesome stuff. So he connects with a lot of pastors all over the place. And he said that he had, has his people saying to him, you know what? He's got one group of people saying to him, you know what, you've got to preach against masks. And he says, my other part of my congregation is telling me you've got to, uh, you've got to preach for masks. And another part of my congregation is telling me I've got to preach for Black Lives Matter. And another part of my congregation is you've got to be preaching against Black Lives Matter and, and the organization of it. And he goes, how about I just preach uh, the next chapter and the next verse? How about I do that? And, um, and I can tell you it's been difficult. In fact, uh, I just found out this morning that... Um, there's a meme page on Instagram uh, because that Wayne has tested positive and because of our stance of still gathering, uh, we've been made a meme in the Tahoe community uh, for us basically being fast and loose and not caring about uh, other people, but just caring about us and our church. I think that's really sad that that's the conclusion that's been drawn uh, by, by several individuals. At the same time, um, you know, we've done everything we can to give everybody as many options as possible. And you're here because you've taken a calculated risk 
and that you understand that in the United States of America, it's been based on the premise of freedom of being able to choose and being able to do what you think is right for your health. We even opened up next door for a, a section for people who just want to be here for masks. It hasn't been used the entire time. It's, it's just never been used. Uh, and, and there are more and more people who are saying, you know, we don't know what, if masks work or they don't work. I'll just, I'm going to be honest with you. I've said it almost every single week to one degree or another. I'm not a doctor. I am not a nurse. I am not a CDC expert. I don't know how diseases totally spread. I do know that you probably should wash your hands and bathe often. You should also brush your teeth. Those are kind of common sense things. Uh, and so, um, uh, you know, I can't mandate and force you to do something that I don't know. You've got to do what you feel is right and best. And so you're here or you're online, and, and by God's grace, we're going to get through this. And by God's grace, we're, we're at some point in time, we're going to get through it. And if we, and if we don't, uh, then the Lord comes or we die, and then we go to the real kingdom that we're really a part of, which is heaven itself and Jesus Christ. If that's the worst thing that happens to us is death, Paul tells us there's no sting in death. And so um, I'll, I'll tell you, it, it hasn't been easy, uh, but I'm, I'm thankful that there's hope in God. And, and at the same time, we have to recognize that the church has always thrived and done well when it has been uh, persecuted and looked at as, as a joke or looked at as something that is ridiculous. The church has always done well. Uh, and so with persecution and with uh, individuals who say, what a lame thing that they're doing and all of that. We recognize that God has always thrived and beaten the odds. And so if the odds are against us, then we're in a great place. So I just wanted to share that with you. The leaders have not done anything flippantly in any of our decisions. We have prayed and we have wrestled with scripture and we have butt heads and man, we have uh, toiled and sweat with one another to just get through what is the right thing to do for us. Because you know what? You can't look in the Bible and see that it says that wearing a mask is a sin. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say not wearing one is a sin. It doesn't say it. You can't say that. Uh, and so we, we're just trying, some of this stuff is an issue of conscience. You got to do what you feel is right. Um, and uh, anyway, we're here. <clears throat> Let's get into the word. Amen. Uh, if you have the ability this morning, I want to encourage you to stand as we honor God's word. And those of you at home that are watching, we would love for you to join with us as well. <clears throat> I want you to note the importance of the structure of the text before us in that uh, God makes it clear that his grace, him giving freedom from slavery, comes before the law. I am the Lord your God, verse 2, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. That is grace. The law comes in verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me, you shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven or above or the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who take his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is within them. And rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear, bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the, drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And now, Lord, we trust you will minister to us and speak to us through your holy word. Mold us and shape us in your image. Give us the strength we need 
to endure and joy in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, you may be seated. A couple things I forgot to mention too. Sandy's doing well. Sandy got COVID as well. Wayne's wife, she's turned the corner, uh, and so she's doing well, uh, and just wanted you to know that. <clears throat> um, so let me start with kind of a, an illustration here, if I can, a, a, a story before we get into uh, what the law is and, and, and uh, the, the two kind of kingdoms that, that the law speaks of to a certain degree, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Pharaoh, which God has been attacking throughout this entire time. So when, I, when my mom became a Christian, I was, I was about 12 years old, and so she started growing her faith over the, the, the few years after that. So I was probably 12. 13, 14, 15, around that time where she was just growing in her faith. And up until that moment, like, it was, it was fast and loose, right? I mean, my parents uh, were party, party-hardy kind of people. Uh, they didn't know Christ. They hung out with rowdy and rough people. And so, man, I, fast and loose was my life. I got to do whatever I wanted to do. I felt like I had all the freedom in the world. I could hang out with who I wanted to hang out with. I could listen to what I wanted to listen to. And I could look at what I wanted to look at. It, there just really wasn't any rules. And so I, um, I, in my, uh, when I was you know, a teenager, I would listen to Stone Temple Pilots and uh, uh, NWA, which shows you the broad spectrum. If you don't know what NWA is, I encourage you, don't look it up. Um, but, you know, Eze, And so there's the rap side. There's the, uh, the Bush side and Pearl Jam side. Those were, that, that was the kind of music I listened to. And, and, then, and then in addition to that, you know, being into sports, my aunt... Uh, blessed me for Christmas around that time uh, f- with the, uh, uh, a subscription to Sports Illustrated, which was awesome, right? I mean, I love Sports Illustrated. And that was when magazines were a thing. I know that's not a thing anymore, but you get a magazine in the mail uh, every month or whatever it was, and I'd get to look at the Sports Illustrated. And I always looked forward to, every year, the one thing Sports Illustrated put out once a year as a young teenage boy. Yeah, the swimsuit issue, Right? And so the swimsuit issue would come out, which had nothing to do with sports, by the way. It said Sports Illustrated, but had nothing to do with sports. And I would take the pictures of those girls, and I hung them up all over my wall. So I had all this secular music. I had all these girls hanging up on my wall. And at one point in time, my mom realized, like, she really needed to be holy, man. Like, she became, uh, to a certain degree, very legalistic, very law-oriented, and for right reason, right? And so one day I was at school, and she saw fit to go into my room, tear down all of my Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition pictures off of the wall, and destroy all of my music. Like, all of it. And all of a sudden, I was like, I was, I was frustrated, right? I was angry. Uh, and, and, and because I felt like my mom was intruding on my freedom. She was taking away my freedom, and she was, she was putting me in bondage is, is much of what it felt like. Now, what I didn't understand at that time about rules and and regulations is how the law of God or how rules and regulations of God actually bring true freedom. Without the right guidance, without the right boundaries, there is no freedom. And so remember now, God has taken Moses and the people of Israel and he has freed them out of Egypt, out of physical slavery into physical freedom, but it's all to correlate within the gospel that God ultimately wants to take us from spiritual slavery, slavery that sin brings, that we think freedom brings, into the freedom that Christ brings, right? Our culture and our society right now says anything can go. Anything can go. You name it. You can change your identity. You, you can change your gender. You can marry who you want to marry. You can do anything you want. You can do anything you want except not wear a mask at a store, right? So you can do anything you want except not wear a mask. That tends, that's the new law of the land. And, and, and the reality of it is, is we're more in bondage as a culture. We're worse as a culture. We're more depressed as a culture. We're more filled with anxiety as a culture, more hatred and angst as a culture. I mean, think of this for a moment. Think of this, this, this how crazy this world is just for a moment. Okay, I'm going to give you two probably examples that are on the top of my uh, head right now, how, how crazy it all is. We, we have just went through and are still in the Me Too movement, which is that men, that men should respect women and treat them well, and, and, and all kinds of women have come forward and said, men have treated me uh, in ways that they have not and should not treat me, 
uh, this is wrong. And it is. However, if you go on Instagram or, or any other social media, especially uh, uh, Snapchat, women have never been more objectified than they are today. I mean, think of, think of it. It's, it's, to be honest with you, it's just it's asinine. Well, no, me too. Respect women. On the other hand, look at my body and pay for exclusive content. Or here's another one. The Washington Redskins are going to change their name because it's offensive to, to, to certain groups of people. And the number one, right, because they were named after an American Indian that has been a minority and, and been kind of beaten up in our culture, that's wrong. So the number one name for the Washington Redskins that has been voted on is the Red Tails. Is that right, the Red Tails? And the Red Tails are a subgroup, African-American men that were in the army that fought, but they were also a minority that were looked down upon. So they're changing their name from a minority that was looked down upon to a minority that was looked down upon. So our, our culture has no, no way to, to think objectively through what we're dealing with because we're, hey, we're free. But the reality is we're not free. We've never been more in bondage. We've never been more in slavery than we ever have before. And so God says, you need the law. You need boundaries. The example I use, uh, which I've stolen from Tim Keller, uh, is, is the example of a fish in water. Right? A fish is only truly free when it's in water. No one is dumb enough yet to take a fish, throw it on land, and say, be really free. Because as soon as you do that, it's death to the fish. So God, when he's bringing his people and he's, he's trying to mold them and shape them into his image, he's saying, this is what true freedom is going to look like. So the law does two things. Okay, the, the piece of scriptures here that we see, it does two things. I don't have time this morning to break down every one of these. In fact, uh, to do this justice, I probably would need to spend a week on each commandment. So don't walk out of here and go, he didn't really teach the Ten Commandments, okay? Um, the, the law ultimately does two things. Number one, the number one purpose of the law is a test. It's a test to make something clear to you. Okay, notice uh, verse 20 of chapter 20. What, what does it say there? It says, God has come to test you. Okay, so Pastor Wayne, he started out with a, a sinus infection. He thought it was a sinus infection. So he didn't think anything of it. So he ended up through some advice. He goes to the ER and he gets tested for COVID-19. Tahoe Forest has some of the rapid tests here in the area. And they test him. And in the test, it, it, it's positive for COVID-19. Now, until he was tested, he thought it was a sinus infection. Once he was tested, it was clear that he had COVID-19 and he needed to make sure he was quarantining himself. He needed to make sure of all kinds of things. It progressed, and now he is in the hospital being taken care of, but it was the test that showed him he had COVID-19. In order for you to know you have certain kinds of cancer, you may not have any symptoms at all until you get like an MRI. Once you get that MRI, you see you have cancer, and then you have to do something about it. It reveals something must be done. The law shows you how sick you are. The law shows you that you're in need of a Savior. Because the law, God basically says, if you, if you live perfectly according to the law, that's how you're going to please God. But we know that none of us can live perfectly to the law. None of us can do it perfectly. And then Galatians actually says this. Galatians says in chapter 3 that the law imprisons us under sin and that the law makes us held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith says the law actually imprisons you, which is interesting because I just said the law, the law is, is a way of flourishing. That's number two. There's two purposes of the law, one to show you how sick you are. The second purpose is to show you what a good life of flourishing is, what the good life looks like. That's why the title of the message is 10 Words of Life, 10 Commandments of Life. But now you go, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. I can't do this, so I'll never have a good life. We'll get to that in a moment. Obviously, that's the point in which Jesus and the gospel rub into the law to show us true freedom in Christ. Now, listen to what Galatians says, because this is really key, okay? If you're a Bible nerd, and I hope you're a Bible nerd, because Bible nerds flourish in life, 
You were imprisoned, he says, to the law. It imprisons you. These 10 commandments, honor your mother and your father, have no other gods before me, don't take any, it, it imprisons you, it holds you in prison, it keeps you confined. But Galatians tells us why this whole thing ever existed. Not only just to test us and to reveal to us, it says, but, but it imprisoned us until the coming of faith would be revealed. Okay, the law holds us in slavery until the coming faith is revealed. What is the coming faith? It's faith in Jesus. It's, it's the understanding of grace in Jesus. So then it says in Galatians chapter 3, the law was our guardian until Christ came. What does that mean? Okay, so I'm a guardian of four wonderful children. I'm going to say that to convince you and me. I love my kids, but I'm their guardian. It's my job to instill in my kids the law of life within our culture. It's my job to teach my children as their guardian what it looks like to be a respectable human being in life and what it looks like for them to hopefully have a good life, to make good choices. One of my lines always is to my kids is, every decision you make has a consequence, either for positive or for negative. And whatever that consequence is, you got to live with it. Period. You will have to live with that consequence. So it's my job to teach them that. And, I, and I'm instilling certain laws of the land. So like, for instance, I, I want to teach my boys, open the door for girls. Do that. Pull the chair out. Do that. And so we got one little girl in the house, and so I got three boys who get to practice that with my little girl, right? Serve her. Whenever my boys go, me first. No, no, no. Jolie, you first, right? Ladies first. It's my job to instill certain things in them. Then they're going to turn 18, and then my job as a guardian is to hope and pray that I've done my job to instill the law within them that they'll do well. And now that law should exist within their own hearts. So when they go into society, the guardian has done its job, and now they can live freely in the world in a way that is going to help them flourish and do well, but I'm not going to be there speaking in their ear all the time. So what the Bible is saying is the law of God, the Ten Commandments all the way back in Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, is the guardian that's going to, was there to help keep society in check. Okay? No law, utter chaos. Does that ring true in Seattle? Does that ring true when you start to remove authority and you remove truth and, and you remove objective thinking and you start to instill relativity, then it's chaos. We have a young country, and our country is in complete chaos because we've removed not only God's law from the sense of the Bible, we've, we've just removed law and order altogether, so it goes into chaos. So the law was there to keep society in check, to make people live according to the law, that the, 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 the world would flourish as best as it can. But then it says faith comes... And then if you remember, this is what's really crazy. I'm doing, I think, a little better job than I did this morning in the first service describing this. There's a correlation between Mount Sinai and the law and a correlation between what happens in the upper room and Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. There's a direct correlation. See, Israel came to Sinai 50 days after offering the Passover lamb. The Spirit came at Pentecost 50 days after Jesus had been offered as the Passover lamb. Both events took place 50 days after the Passover. Both involved violence, a violent shaking, a violent wind. Both involved violent fire. Both involved God writing his law. The difference in Pentecost in the New Testament is that it was intimate and it was personal, and the law gets written on the tablet of the heart, where now we're no longer confronted by God's power and scariness in the Old Testament we're now indwelt by God's power that is the Holy Spirit to help us adhere to the law. So this is quite an amazing, miraculous thing. Okay, we needed the Ten Commandments to keep us in check, but once Jesus came and he comes into our hearts, now our hearts are changed. And because our hearts are changed and God indwells us as the church, he's helping us live with wisdom and discernment instead of just a whole bunch of rules. Which is amazing because some people have made Christianity about the rules. And God doesn't make it about the rules. He makes it about the grace of God who saves you from the slavery of sin. And now he guides you and directs you in a life 
that has a whole lot more gray areas than we like to admit. Are you with me this morning? Uh, Are you with me in understanding that the the Spirit of God comes into your heart to help you navigate life in all of its nuances so that the gospel can be made clear rather than you standing up and trying to make certain things more important than they really are? Now, I'm making some... Uh, I'm alluding to some things within our culture right now, such as the idea of masks or the idea of social distancing or what's going to be coming next, maybe most likely the idea of taking the vaccine, which may or may not come out, depending on what happens. And then now we're, we're in this struggle with, with, between, uh, well, if you're really a holy person, if you're really a righteous person, if you're really a person who loves others, you wear a mask, <laughs> That, that's, that, someone told me this morning, the mask, in a sense, is the new circumcision. If you're circumcised, you're really a Jew. If you wear a mask, well, then you really love, you really love other people. And that's ridiculous. That's utterly ridiculous. Because God doesn't look at us and say, if you really love people, you do these certain things. Your love for people comes out in all kinds of nuanced ways all kinds of beautiful ways. And this all has to correlate with not understanding that the law is all about really two things. It's, it's the verticalness between us and God. That's the first four commandments. And then the horizontalness of loving one another that God has commanded us to do. So later, and this is the typical thing that people do, okay? It was a typical thing for the Pharisees. They got 10 commandments, and then they had, they had the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were studying you know, the Old Testament. They're studying all the Hebrew. They're looking back, and they're going... They're interpreting it. So they start interpreting it. Once you start interpreting things, you start to bring to the next phase of, of application. And so what they did is, is they started to interpret and they started to apply. And after it was all said and done, uh, God's people ended up not just with 10 commandments, but well over 600 of them. So that you needed to have certain individuals uh, that, that, that were trained to dissect and, and break down and and. and uh, apply the law to the people of God. So whole men were trained for years so that they could interpret this law. This is one of the reasons why the Pharisees are so upset because Jesus shows up and he says, oh yeah, you know all the Ten Commandments stuff, you know those ten that you now have over 600 of? You, yeah, you know, you know all that? You know, you know your trained profession of interpreting the law? Well, let me just tell you the true interpretation and application of it. Love God with all of your heart and love your neighbor likewise. Okay, so you don't need as much education as you think you do. You, are you with me? So what's amazing, though, is, is that God gives us this law. He gives us, right? he gives us the MRI to show us our need for a Savior. But I also said, remember, that it's also about the good life. So if you go to Exodus chapter 24, just a couple <coughs> excuse me, chapters over, Moses tells the people in verse 3, he told everything that God had spoken, and the people's response is, we'll do that. We'll obey. And then in in verse 7, at the second part of verse 7, all the Lord has spoken, we're going to do it, and we're going to be obedient. And now remember what Jesus said. Jesus said later about his commandments, he says, if you love me, if you have affection towards me, remember in one of the verses here it tells us, his steadfast love, it exists for us. He's, he's loving. We love because he first loved us. That's grace. He freed us, and now we have this freedom, and now we respond. And so God says, Jesus says, he says, look, if you want to show me love, you want to show me affection, obey my commandments. Like, if you really love the Lord, and you really love God, you're going to obey his commandments. And what, here's what happens, okay? So this is kind of key here. If you're walking according to the ways of God, by and large, you, you're just going to do well. Seriously. It's like showing up to school and like half the battle is just showing up, right? You're going to do, do good. If, you, if you're doing the things that God's called you to do, you're going to do them. But however, doing those things don't get you to heaven. And if you don't do them and you're saved by faith because you're saved by faith alone, it doesn't mean that, that you're going to lose your salvation. However, if you choose to ignore the laws of God as a Christian who's been saved by faith, Not only, if you're truly ignoring them, not only should you question your salvation, but your life and your relationship with Jesus will suffer. 
The Bible actually says, don't, don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a verse. That's a holy, spoken thing from God. If you live life any way that you want, if you think that you have true freedom by doing anything you want, you're going to quench the Holy Spirit. You're going to quench your relationship with Jesus. It's, your relationship with Jesus will suffer. Will you, will you not go to heaven? No, probably you will. It's not that your salvation is in question, but your walk and your unity with God and your flourishing isn't going to be what it would be if you're adhering to the words of God. So God is establishing his kingdom. So let me establish in regards to the kingdom something that's really important. There is a kingdom of God. Amen? You're part of that kingdom. The Old Testament says that the kingdom is coming. The New Testament says the kingdom is here, and then it's coming again, but it's here. So there's this kind of like passive and future to it, but, it, but by and large, the kingdom is here and now. The church is part of that kingdom of God. You're part of that kingdom of God. You're not so much a United States American as you are an example of who God is. Okay, so one of the commandments in here is don't take the Lord's name in vain. Now, now many people, like they read that and go, okay, yeah, don't say gosh darn it, but not gosh, right? Or darn it. But don't say something bad about God. That's not what it is. That's not what it is. Taking, not taking God's name in vain. See, when God was coming into relationship with the Hebrew people, he was saying all along, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. My name is Yahweh. You're going to carry that name wherever you go. You're an ambassador of God. You have my name. Okay, so I used this example in the first service. It's a stupid example, but it's, an, it's the one that came to my mind as I was preaching. Let's say I have a relationship, a friendship with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger and I, we're buddies, man. And I go down to Southern California, and Arnold Schwarzenegger owns a gym, but it's an exclusive gym. You've got to pay X dollars a month. And I walk up to that front door, and they go, excuse me, do you have a membership? Do you have a membership here? No, no, I don't. Well, you've got to sign up for a membership. No, it's cool. I know Arnold. You know Arnold? Yeah, I know Arnold. So he says I can come for free. So the guy calls Calls Arnold, says, hey, Arnold, do you, know, do you know Jesse? Do you know him? And Arnold goes, yeah, I know him, right? That's probably way off. So I say, so they say, come on in, right? Knowing the right name, knowing the right name opens the right doors, right? And if you abuse that name, the doors are shut to you, right? If you abuse that name, it's detrimental to you. If I, if I say I know you and I misuse your name, the relationship's going to suffer if I misuse your name to open up doors for my own selfish reasons. So when he says in the commandment, he says, okay, you're part of my kingdom. There's laws within my kingdom, and you carry my name. If you use my name for the wrong reasons, you're breaking the law of God. You're abusing our relationship. You're ruining our intimacy. So, but then on the other side... There is the kingdom of Pharaoh, which we know is a metaphorical way of us saying there's the kingdom of Satan. There's a dark kingdom. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of saving grace and the kingdom of darkness. And what God is doing in the Ten Commandments is the same thing he did with the plagues. You see, the plagues were thrust upon all of the people in, in Egypt, and they were a direct attack to undermine and show that all of their gods they worshipped were weak and not true gods. So, so he's attacking, God attacks in the plagues, the, the frogs that they worshipped, the, the, the flies that they worshipped, all the things that they, the snake, all of those things, God was saying, your gods aren't real. And the Ten Commandments, he's doing the same thing. He's saying, these are the laws in the kingdom that flourish, and there's, it's to oppose the kingdoms of, of mankind. Let me, let me break down some of these for you. The commandment, Number one is this. Commandment number one is, have no other gods before me. Okay, you, you're to serve nobody else. In fact, uh, co commandment number two and three are basically the same thing uh, in the same sense. No carved images and don't take my name in vain. So these are all things that honor God, worship God alone, and in the kingdom of God, we have one ultimate authority and one ultimate ruler that we worship. Amen? Now you go into the kingdom of Pharaoh, the kingdom of Pharaoh inside of man's heart, it's that man would be their own God. Real freedom comes from me being my own God, or, or 
in Pharaoh's case, it was that he would be God. See, in the kingdom of the world, man's ultimate goal is to rule over as many men and be over as much power over especially a, a, a smaller a minority group of people, a weaker or a lesser group of people. So, so you know, again, I, don't, I try not to get too political, but it's kind of hard not to in this day and age. Gavin Newsom, by and large, he's, he and many other governors, we have ultimate authority and right. And just so you know, and many people don't know this, wearing a mask is not the law of California. It hasn't been passed as law. Newsom doesn't get to say this is law. So if you actually do your research like our elders have been doing, everything is this. Everything is listed as guidance for. Guidance for. And then down the road it says mandated, (laughs) which is a contradiction of, but they did it knowing in bold this is guidance. So you can't be arrested for not wearing a mask. You can't. Now, private properties, you know, they can do their own thing, but it's not the law. And some people are are getting really angry at other people. They don't wear a mask. They say, well, this is the law. It's not a law. Newsom doesn't get to just pass laws on a whim. And and just so you know, neither neither does the president. So when the president gets up and says, churches are going to be open, according to our Constitution, he doesn't have the right just to open up churches. Okay, that's not how it works. Why? Because... Our government was, at some point in time, it had the idea of God on their minds. They weren't all Christian, but they had the idea of God in their minds. Our government was established so that no man, no authority would have complete power over another person or group of people. Because the only one who has complete power over another group of people at all is Yahweh, because we were made in his image. And only true freedom comes from him. So on one side, God is saying, listen, you want flourishing life? You want good life? You've got to understand it's got to rub against this idea that you're going to submit to some ultimate authority. Oh, and by the way, don't bow down to carved images. Why? Because they're never going to exemplify the complete Godhead. So there's a couple things that are interesting here. One, he says, don't make any carved images out of fish or anything in the sea or anything on the land, which goes to show you there's as many false gods as there are animals in the world. There's that many false gods. And and I believe this is a season where Satan is trying to use all kinds of false things, false teachings, false thinking, divisional kind of thinking to undermine and ruin the church. My friends, we are in a spiritual battle, not against the physical COVID-19, but against Satan himself, who's trying to undermine and ruin his church. He's trying to make the church divided over things like masks, which is ridiculous to even think that at this day and age we would divide over a mask or we would divide over, over, over social distancing. The, the, the unity of the church is far more important. We should be fighting to be able to worship together under the word of God and not fearful of what the world thinks because this world is dark and it needs hope. And we carry hope. And that hope isn't that we would adhere to these commandments perfectly because none of us can do that. It's to worship the one who has adhered to the commandments perfectly on your behalf. And if you make a false god, whatever that false god is, whether it's a celebrity or whether it's a statue you bow down to, they never show the complete picture of God. I mean, think about it. If you take the golden calf, which Israel will do later, the golden calf represents the power and authority of a god. But it doesn't show any other aspect of that god. If you were to make a graven image of Jesus right now, of God, would he be smiling or would he be frowning? Well, the reality is is that that he's all of these things all at once. He's transcendent. I can't remember where I heard this from, but it's so good. And I can't remember who said it, but he's smarter than I am. He basically said, if the culture is going to actually find true happiness... It's going to have to learn to move away from all of its physical science stuff. Basically said, science is not going to fix culture and society, depression, anger. Basically said, what's going to happen is that the culture needs more transcendence. Majesty. What he's basically saying is, we need more of what is outside of us. We need something that is bigger than us. We need something that goes beyond us. Something that, 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 that makes us know that there's mystery and beauty that, that, that is overwhelming to behold. 
We need something bigger than us. We know that inside. All of us long for something that's going to last. All of us long for something that, that, that's beyond us because to live for just us isn't any kind of freedom at all. It is the, it is the most slave-bound thing you could be a part of. Living for you and your own desires and your own wants and the, your own lobbying, your own graven image, if you will, those things lead to the worst kind of bondage. It's the worst kind of bondage. And if you look at these commandments, you'll see that in God's kingdom, he's, he, he's, he's speaking against the, the, the abuse of those who don't have power, those who are less than. I'll get to that here in a moment, but let me just go through a couple more of these. He says in commandment number four, keep the Sabbath. Why? Why rest? Why would I take a day to not do anything? And the reason is because, again, it goes directly against Pharaoh. What, what did Pharaoh do to the Hebrew people? You will work for me. You will work all day and all night long. You will eat when I tell you you can eat. Because nothing is more important in, in the kingdom of Pharaoh, in the kingdom of Satan, than materialism and production. Now, all you have to do is go to Egypt today to see how, how much they built, how much they consumed, how much false gods they worshipped. I don't know if you noticed at one point in time, but the Great Pyramid at one point in time had a golden cap to it. And I think it was, if I believe, remember correctly, like a white limestone. So when you, you looked at that pyramid, it had this golden cap that shone bright in the sun and this white, almost marble-looking uh, thing around it just to, just to show the greatness and the beauty of how powerful Egypt is. And likewise, could we just not say in the United States of America, how much do we love our own consumption? You only have to go to all-you-can-eat sushi once <laughs> to realize what a problem we have. So God says, you know what? You've got to understand that life is not about always producing something. Sometimes it's just resting in who I am. Again, another pastor, he says it like this. We're so, we're so zealous to produce and gain as a way to show that we have value and worth. He says, we're zealous to gain so that we can prove to ourselves and other people that we're valuable. Rather than to rest on what God has said about us, that our value and worth is in our relationship with him and not anything we can produce. This is a loud clanging bell going off for all those who feel like they can never produce enough, never get enough done, constantly feel exhausted. And the Lord just comes to everybody and says, would you just rest a while? Last week, I've done something that I haven't done in a long time. I took, I think it was last week, it's why I wasn't in the office with Wayne. So I'm not on quarantine like the rest of the staff. And I took, I took a full, uh, just 24-hour period, went down to Donner Lake. We've got some friends at our church that have a house there and spent 24 hours just, just resting. Like no, no Facebook, no social media, no news, just, just rest. Just relax. Just sit out and look and think about how good God is. And then God comes with commandment five and commandment seven, where he says, honor your father and mother and don't commit adultery. Why? Why is this flourishing? Because God cares about the family. God cares about, about kids growing in a way that they, they understand who God is. So let me just encourage a couple different things that rub against society, because society basically has said, you know, family isn't all that important. It, I, most people now are waiting until later to get married and if they get married at all, it's much later. And if they get married, they probably don't have kids. If they have kids at all, and if they have kids, they have far less kids than what ki how many kids there used to be. I'm not here to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. That's all between you and the Lord, and there's no hard and fast line to it. But I do believe the Bible teaches, according to this verse, first of all, notice, hey, kids, if you have parents, honor them. Like, give them value. Give them worth. Give them weight. Because they care for you. They love you. They're making... I am telling you, and I wish my kids were in here, uh, I, I hope one day they understand, They're, the amount of sacrifice a parent makes for their children is ridiculous. The amount of self-denial a parent has to give to raise a child is ridiculous. It is the greatest test of your selfishness you will ever have. It is. And the Bible is saying, listen, you've got to, as kids, if you, you become super wise, if you recognize the amount of energy 
and money and passion and emotion they give up for your benefit. Oh my gosh. It's ridiculous. So he says, kids, you got to value them. In fact, in this day and age, if a child, if a child disrespected their parents, they, they were punished publicly, not privately. And the reason is because when parents don't work, when, when children don't work well with their parents, the Bible teaches the exact opposite of what culture preaches. When you disrespect your parents, it affects all of society, not just your home. It affects everyone. And then it says, hey, guess what? Wives and husbands, don't, don't commit adultery. Don't cheat on your wife. And it isn't just a private affair. It's a, they were also, if you committed adultery, you were also publicly humiliated. Why? Because when you cheat on your wife and you commit adultery, it, it's a crime against society, not just against your wife. It's a crime against community, not just your wife. And the reason for this is what God is saying is that healthy families are the fabric of healthy communities. And if you do any study about, especially within the inner city, why there's so much crime in the inner city, there's always a direct correlation with an absent father. The church needs, the society needs men, men who will stand up. And this is, this is no disservice to women, but men who will stand up and lead their homes that they'll stand up for the goodness of the gospel, that, that your kids would see that you as a man, that you really do actually love Jesus, that you're affectionate towards Jesus, that you worship Jesus. That doesn't mean you have to get rid of your manhood, but it show, it, you've got to love the Lord your God. And you've got to make that apparent to your kids because what's real in you will become real in them. And then he goes on and says, don't murder. Why? Because everyone's made in the image of God, where in the kingdom of Pharaoh, we, we abhor babies. No differently than what Pharaoh was doing in throwing the Hebrew children in the Nile. We don't value human life. It's part of why the racism exists and the systemic stuff everyone talks about. Because we don't value life the way that we should. And then commandments 8, 9, and 10. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. In Pharaoh's kingdom and the kingdom of God, take what you want when you want. But in the kingdom of God, you have to trust that God will give you what you need. Ultimately, let me just summarize all of the commandments as we get ready to close here in a few moments. That ultimately, you could summarize the commandments that there's great power in weakness, not power over weakness. God's protecting the weak, and he's letting us know that we're weak, that we're in need of saving, and, and that we get real power by admitting our weakness. You change culture by being underneath culture, serving culture, loving culture, and God lets us know, he says, these are important. This is super important that you would worship me and obey me. But then ultimately, I want you to see that as we close, the Ten Commandments is a picture of Jesus. The, the Ten Commandments show us Christ. Because the New Testament tells us that Christ fulfilled the law. Which is to say, he did what you couldn't do. You can't climb the Ten Commandment ladder to get to heaven. Jesus climbed the Ten Commandment ladder to get you to heaven. So that in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit would come inside of you and would teach you how to be as he is and empower you to fight sin. Do you feel like you have certain issues in your life that you just can't simply overcome? The answer to, the, to overcoming is not to do more, but it goes even back to the commandment of resting in him more. To rest in him and to understand that, that God has overcome that sin on your behalf. You see, you don't just murder sin by not sinning. You murder sin by looking at Jesus. And when your eyes are captivated on the mountain that is Calvary, as the people were captivated by the mountain that is Sinai, when we're captivated by him, as that one song sings, all the things on earth will seem strangely dim. It's, this is not a fun time in our culture. This isn't the best of time, but the world is, for our generations that are part of our church, the world has never been darker for us. It's never been crazier. Now, maybe it was crazier before us, but for us, this is as crazy as it's ever been for us, huh? And we have an opportunity to contrast the darkness with the light. We're not going to live in fear. 
We're not going to live in slavery. We're going to live in the gospel of grace that brings true freedom. We're not going to be captivated by celebrities and politicians, but we're going to be captivated by Jesus, who died on our behalf and then was raised from the dead so that we would have hope beyond this world and all of its brokenness. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord, for being our substitute, for we were desperate for you. Thank you for being our Savior. I pray, Lord, that now you would give us favor as a church. We've had your favor in so many different ways over the years, and now, and now Lord, we, we have a target on us. And Lord, we know that you know what that's like. That's something that you've experienced. I pray, Lord, that as we walk in this world that does not like the church, that may persecute the church, that we would handle ourselves with love and respect. That we'd recognize that vengeance is not ours, it's from the Lord. And may we allow you to execute that vengeance as you see fit. But at the same time, would you still bring sinners to yourself? So I read earlier this week that there are more people wondering, what happens when I die? Lord, that is a question we all should ask. But Lord, even in Proverbs, you tell us we do well to think of death so that we can truly honor and love this life and look for the one to come. So I pray, Lord, that we would have the answer for those who need it, of hope eternal in you. Empower us, equip us, be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand, stand with us as we sing this last song. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be unto the ancient of days.